Every woman needs a tribe. The first member of the tribe for a little girl is her mom. Hi, my name is Inkechi Aguenu, and I started the What I Wish podcast to highlight the special relationship between a mom and her daughter. I invite other mothers to talk about their experiences as a girl mom and sometimes boy mom and the lessons learned from their relationships with their own mothers and how that has translated into their relationships with their children. My guest and I also talk about other parts of us like other relationships in our lives, being single, career development, and self-growth. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the conversations. Perfect. All right. Thank you for joining us on another episode of What I Wish My Mother Taught Me. I am joined today by Sally. Um, Sally, could you please introduce yourself? Yes, I am a toddler mom and a special education preschool teacher. I have a master's degree in curriculum and instruction, early childhood education. Um, I've been a teacher. I've had over 10 years of experience working in early childhood in the U.S. public school system. And I'm also an educational blogger who shares resources and tips about all things preschool. Um, I focus on topics such as early academics, social emotional learning, behavior, uh, wellness. And I use my blog to support other parents and caregivers uh, by giving them strategies on how to encourage their child's overall development. So that's just a little bit about me. And thank you for having me. Excellent. And what, um, how did you decide to go into um, teaching first? You know, it's kind of a funny story. Um, When I was a young child, I actually always envisioned myself being a teacher one day. And then I went to college and I went on a completely different route. And I went and got my, um, my bachelor's in public relations. And I did that for a few years after graduating. And then there was an economic downturn. And I thought, you know what, I don't know if this is the right fit for me. I had, I had been laid off from two different jobs. And I went, I really think I should revisit teaching, um, the idea of teaching again. And so I took the alternate route to teaching and I started um, working in a classroom at first as a paraprofessional, as an assistant teacher. And that was in 2009. And then I've been in the classroom ever since then. So um, I've really enjoyed being in the classroom and I kind of should have listened to myself from the get-go as a young child and followed that path to begin with. But, you know, things happen for a reason and you you kind of take the course that you're meant to. So I'm happy to be where I am right now. And why did you decide on special education? Oh, okay. Um, I, you know, what's actually funny when I was working in, when I first got my first job as a paraprofessional, I was working in a general education classroom and I started working with children. And I really thought that that's where I was going to be in a, you know, a traditional preschool setting. And then I was asked to work a summer school program, um, an extended year program for special needs students. And I started working with the students in that type of classroom environment. And I really enjoyed that. And then I moved, um, I moved to a different part of the state and At the time, I was looking for a new position, and they offered me a position in a special education classroom. And I thought, you know what, I really had a great experience in the former position. So I went that route and, and I've been there ever since and it's been a really, it's been a really profound experience and 
it's just preschool in itself is just a wonderful place to be. And then to help children with, you know, with different needs, it's just very fulfilling. And it's amazing to watch the progress that my students could make. So um, it's just an incredible, incredible position to be in. Yeah, what was of interest to me that you talked about was um, critical thinking. Yes. Because yeah. oh, as though critical thinking is lacking. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, and I don't know how, I don't know how or why it's lacking. I don't, I can't figure out if schools are meant to teach critical thinking, parents are to teach it. You know, I think it's a little bit of both. And I find, you know, I think that that's an important kind of point that you're making that maybe something is lacking societally that, you know, people are growing up without these types of skills. Um, but I truly believe that early childhood is actually a really great time to start encouraging these skills. Um, this way they have time to practice and refine them, you know, as they mature and develop. Um, and it's important to do this because they'll continue to use these skills in and out of the classroom, you know, yes, like at work, <laughs> right? And exactly in and out of the classroom, in, at work, work, yeah. in, in their homes, in their relationships, you know, it's a, just a vital part of our existence, a part, or a part of our life. Um, so it's absolutely, I think, beneficial to start thinking about these things when children are really still young and it's the job of parents and caregivers and also of teachers. And there are a lot of ways to encourage that at a very basic level with young children. Um, so absolutely. Yeah. I wholeheartedly believe that early childhood education is um, the greatest gift a parent can give a child. Absolutely, 100%. And, you know, going back to why I chose teaching, I think part of the reason that I was drawn to early childhood education in particular is because it really lays the groundwork for a child and their educational experience, but also their life experience. Early childhood, these classrooms, children are really learning the basics of life. They're learning about the world around them. They're learning about how to interact with that world. They're learning yeah. about their peers, their community. It, there's just so much that can be taught in these environments and it's so beneficial. And there's research that backs it up, you know, that it's beneficial for her child's development. So it's, um, that is definitely one of the reasons that I was drawn to this age group in particular, because I felt like it, it's so impactful. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. My, um, my kids started school at age, well, I put them in daycare early on just to build mm -hmm. their social skills. Mm -hmm. But then I was paying for daycare and I said, you know what, let me research what a private school would cost in comparison to a daycare mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the pricing wasn't much different really so yeah no it wasn't um it was at the time it was a 200 dollars a month difference for my daughter mm -hmm. and the private school i found they 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 just they came highly recommended and um so i withdrew her from the daycare and enrolled her in the private school and I am not exaggerating. By age three, my daughter could write her name first mm -hmm. and last. Mm -hmm. She knew how to hold a pencil. They potty trained her. 
Yes. <laughs> yes, that is <laughs> part was, of my daily routine at school, for sure. Which was a bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, interactive, like, it was weird to have a three-year-old be as smart and mm-hmm. intelligent and capable and confident and all of the things. And I'm not only attributing that to the school, mm-hmm. but it definitely helps. The writing, yes, that was the school. The name spelling, that was the school. The potty training was the school. And initially when I spoke to my husband about putting her in a private school, he was like, no. But I said, let's test it out. Mm-hmm. Because I have always believed that from birth to age six, most important time it's the yes. most critical mm-hmm. if you can give your child the skills they may not use it mm-hmm. well enough within that time but it sticks it does stick at least it, again it leaves that foundation it leaves that groundwork and I yes. could I could totally agree with you because um my child he's two and a half and we started him in a nursery school nearby us at at age two um I was preparing to go back to work. I was, I took an extended maternity leave. I was very fortunate to be home with him um, for the first two years of his life. And, you know, COVID coincided with that. So it just happened to work out the way that it did, but we were ready to send him off to nursery school. And at first he started part-time, but we made that same sort of um, decision. My husband and I to send him to school to have some socialization. We know the importance of early childhood education. My husband when we met was also an early childhood educator. Um, He's since moved on to school administration and we know the value of it. And so we thought this is going to be, you know, very, very good for him. We sent him and in a matter of months. Yeah. He's again, like you just said, he's coming home with these very apparent academic skills already, but also most importantly, and, and I think more importantly, is that social emotional piece. And, you know, learning how to engage with his peers, with his teachers, um, learning, you know, those social emotional skills are what are so vital. And I think going back to what you said earlier about maybe the critical thinking skills that are lacking, I think we lack a little bit of social emotional skills as well as a society. And it's things like that, that we have to focus on, um, especially when children are young, because if, if we're doing this stuff now, and laying the groundwork now, it can only help them as they get older and they have to interact with everybody, you know, around them, whether it's in their home relationships, school relationships, or work relationships. Um, So it's absolutely, you know, really, really critical to start thinking about these things when children are still young. Yeah. So you made a post on Instagram and I Mm -hmm. think it said how to teach your kids critical thinking early or something Mm -hmm. along those lines. Can you, can you talk about that and give us some tips on those? Sure. Well, so at a very basic level, critical thinking is a set of higher level skills that allows us to take in new information, carefully process and analyze it, and then use it to form ideas and opinions. And so as we were saying earlier, these skills are essential to everyday life. They help adults and children alike. They help us to make informed decisions, problem solve, plan and set goals, and even communicate and collaborate with others. And there are a lot of simple things that parents and caregivers can do to encourage these skills in young children. Um, And the most important one, and I think the biggest and simplest tip 
is encouraging open-ended play and making play and exploration a priority. Um, oftentimes, you know, as someone who works in the early childhood field, a lot of the times, you know, you might meet somebody outside of the field and they'll say to you, oh, you work with preschoolers, so what do you do all day? You must play all day. And that's true in a way, we do, we play all day, but playing in early childhood is learning. That's right. when children learn. It's through play. It's through these hands-on experiences. Um, so, you know, oftentimes people may look at it as just fun and games, but it's actually fundamental to a child's overall development and to their growth. Right. Um, so through play, children not only, they not only learn cognitive skills, academic skills, motor skills, but also social emotional ones, and also these important skills like critical thinking skills. Um, so there are certainly things that parents could do at home to encourage these skills. Um, and one of, one of the things that I would say if a parent were to ask me, okay, so, so name some things that we could do at home. First, you just want to give your child the opportunity to play, you know, make it a part of their day. I know, you know, we all have very busy lives and there are always, you know, a hundred things on, on our plates every single day. Um, but when a child's at the preschool age, that's a really good time to encourage independent play. Um, so you want to just give them the opportunity to play and explore on their own and, and let them do it in a child-directed way. Um, give them a safe environment to play with, with things that are, you know, obviously age appropriate. You don't want really yeah. small objects that they could, you know, swallow or choke on or anything like that, but give them open-ended materials. And sometimes they don't even have to be toys. Um, so that's something that I also recommend too, giving them things that may seem to somebody else. I, I tell, I tell parents this a lot of the time, but like, don't get, don't throw away those, you know, toilet paper tubes or some recyclable materials. Those or are things, Amazon boxes. Right. If I was just going to say, or boxes, things like that. Those open-ended materials can really foster creativity and imagination. And that's a very important aspect of critical thinking. Um, mm. So giving them an opportunity to play, giving them a safe environment to play in, um, those are those are crucial things to, to think about. Um, and then also you just want to make sure that the environment in your home, whether it's during play or not, welcomes questions from your children. Yes. Um, that is a really important piece to this too. You want to have an open environment where your child could feel safe asking questions, safe brainstorming ideas, um, you know, and also giving them a place to feel safe to try and also fail. Um, yeah. That's a big piece too. I think that sometimes as parents, you know, we want to help our children. We want to help our children as much as we can. And sometimes parents could be maybe uh, for back, you know, for lack of a better term, maybe a little overbearing in that way. And sometimes we yeah. have to give them space to try things on their own and see if they can problem solve on their own and maybe not interfere as quickly sometimes as maybe we naturally or instinctively want to. <laughs> um, so those are, those are all things to consider when it comes to critical, you know, critical thinking. That's eight. I, I listed eight. Great. Um, <laughs> so you have a two-year-old. Yeah. Yes. He's two and a half. How is your home? Um, 
designed like how is your interaction with him designed to help him in as he's in his most critical um age of learning or time for learning you know I think it's it's actually (laughs) I'm sure I'm sure you may have said this before maybe before being a parent and I know I've spoken to a lot of other parents who have said this but I remember before becoming a mother I would say to my husband oh you know when we have a child I don't want toys all over the house. I want like a room designated for toys and this and that. And then you become a parent and then, you know, then realistically you go, okay, is that possible to keep everything contained to one room? We are very fortunate. We do have a room in our house that is, you know, a designated playroom, but there are also toys, you know, strewn about. We, you know, with a two and a half year old, I'm sure you know what that looks, <laughs> what that looks like. Um, but in our home, I make sure to have, toys and objects that obviously that he's interested in, but also most importantly, ones that foster that open-ended type of play. So I wanna make sure that he has objects that he can use in a way that he chooses. So going back to what we were saying before, if your child wants to play with an empty Amazon box, that's okay, let them ask them what they're playing with and say, okay, what are we going to make with this? Can you tell me what what you're making? Show me what you're going to make. And if your child decides that it's going to be a rocket ship or a boat, let them, you know, let them do that and kind of give them the tools to do that and the time to do that. Um, So that's something that we focus on in our home. Uh, As I said, my husband was an early childhood educator as well. So we both have a good sense of what development at this age should look like. So we just model safe and appropriate behavior when we play, um, but we also give him room to explore. And sometimes that means letting go of the idea of having everything perfectly clean <laughs> at, you know, at, at one time, um, you know, being open-minded to kind of messy play, to exploratory play, um, giving him opportunities to problem solve on his own. Like sometimes we may come up with an idea and I'll say to him, you know, he may be playing with a toy and he might get frustrated, let's say, especially at a two and a half year old um, level, he might, you know, be building with blocks or something. And at this age, they have a lower frustration tolerance and he's getting annoyed as he's building something because it's not staying up properly. And so sometimes we want to just jump in and show them exactly what they have to do, but you might want to instead pause, give them a second. And you could say, okay, I see that you're feeling really frustrated about this. How can we try to make this work better? And give them the opportunity to try on their own. Um, But also, you know, work collaboratively with them too. It's about finding that balance. Um, But most importantly, just giving them the opportunity to play, to ask questions. That's really, really vital. Um, to critical thinking, especially at this early age. How does your previous career before you became a teacher, how does that support what you currently do? Um, You know, that's a really interesting question. And that was one of those questions that I got early on um, in my job search, you know, to become a teacher and in my path to becoming a teacher, that was something that would be brought up a lot. But it's, It's actually pretty interesting because I was working in the fields of public relations and in public relations, really one of the main parts of your job as a, as a practitioner is to be able to take a message and then convey that message 
to different audiences. Um, and so as a teacher, that's really what I do, you know, regularly in my classroom. Right. So if I have a piece of content or an idea of, or something that I want to teach my students, I have to then look at my student group and say, okay, what's the best way to reach this child, you know, versus this child, uh, where, where are their strengths, where are their weaknesses, what's the best way that they learn, what's the best approach to take here. So in education, we call that differentiation, but that's a lot of what I used to do in public relations too. So there's a lot of overlap actually um, between the two roles. So I was very fortunate to kind of have that type of experience um, as a PR professional communication is key to that role and communication is key to the role as a teacher as well. Right. So as a teacher, what do you, if you could give three to five tips to parents to support their children's development, what would those tips be? Uh, in the sense of just overall development or in terms of the, the critical thinking skills? Let's do both. Okay. I think that one of one of the biggest things that I always tell parents to focus on, particularly at a preschool level, is that the academic skills will come with time and exposure in the classroom and at home. I think that there needs to be a greater emphasis put on that social emotional piece, that social emotional learning. Um, because it's really, when a child has social emotional skills that are developing and growing as they should, then I feel that children are, are in a better place to learn, you know, academic concepts too. So I think there's a really important kind of dynamic between the two things. So um, I wrote about this recently on my educational blog, but there are things that parents can do to support social emotional learning in their young children. And one of the first things they can do is and this is actually goes along with pretty much anything that you want to teach a preschooler, but you want to model the behavior that you want to see in your child. You want to model that behavior yourself. Um, so you want your child to know, to know how to find healthy coping strategies for big emotions that they may be feeling. You want to teach them how to label those feelings and, you know, appropriately name them. I think that that's actually the first step. Um, and you want children to learn how to identify their feelings, name them, normalize them because feelings are a natural part of life um, and feelings can change from moment to moment. And children shouldn't be afraid to feel certain emotions because everyone does. We all do. We all have, you know, our emotional experiences run the gamut. And again, they change from moment to moment. So children really just need to know what those feelings are. Um, and parents can use this technique. I call it the play by play. So you say to them, you know, you're really frustrated that you can't zip up your jacket. You know, just giving them that verbiage in that moment can help a child to know down the line oh, that's what I was feeling at that time. And that's, that's what I'm feeling right now too. Right. Um, so learning to label those feelings is really important. And then teaching healthy coping strategies. It, actually, I just had this happen with my son and my husband and I have been teaching him to label, you know, different feelings since he was really, really young. 
And just recently, he's starting now to generalize these things because the other day I was a little bit frustrated. I had come home from work and we have three dogs in our home and I had come home to a little bit of a mess in the house from the dogs. And as I was cleaning up after a long day, you know, I was, I just didn't look, you know, particularly cheerful. And my, my son looked at me, right. He looked at me and he said, mama, are you okay? Mama, are you feeling frustrated? (laughs) And he asked me that. And I was really blown away in that moment. It actually took me kind of out of that feeling that I was feeling. And I just felt immensely proud of him for being able to kind of recognize that in, in someone else. Um, right. So that's, and name it. Yes. And be able to name it. So that's why I feel like social emotional learning is so important at this stage because it can help our children to become more empathetic. They can have more self-awareness, but then they can also have the awareness of other people. And that actually goes back to the critical thinking skills too, because another way that parents can teach their children to think critically is to be open-minded and being open-minded is having that empathetic nature and being able to understand the experiences of other people. Um, so that's, that's really one big part of social emotional, excuse me, social emotional learning is labeling feelings, teaching those coping strategies. The other, the other thing is creating a welcoming environment in your home. You want your child to feel safe um, and loved no matter what they're feeling. Because again, we all go through different points in our day, different points in our life where our feelings may feel overwhelming to us and children need to feel supported in those moments just the same way we do. Um, So creating a welcome environment where children don't feel scared or worried to talk to you to express themselves to you, Um, you know, creating that environment helps to create a stable connection that they can, you know, that they can maintain the secure attachment to you throughout their entire life. Um, um, And then there are things that we could do with, you know, physical objects in teaching our children about these things. So you can use books, Books are incredible to do this, to talk about feelings. They're an extremely powerful tool for all sorts, you know, all sorts of learning, but they do an excellent job at building up a child's emotional intelligence because they can open up children's ideas. They can open up their world to new ideas, to new perspectives, um, especially with books that expose them to children that have experiences that are different than their own you know, with different backgrounds, different experiences, uh, different cultures, different foods, different languages, all of those things. Um, And books can lead to very meaningful discussions. And you can ask your child, when you're reading a book, how did that, how did this experience make this character feel? What made them feel this way? How would you feel in this situation? You know, what can their friends do to help them? So all of those types of questions really can help your child become more empathetic and more understanding of the feelings of other, of other people. Um, and you can do the same things with even games, um, activities, props, puppets, things like that are, are an excellent tool 
to, to help children to role play and to understand maybe what another child might be feeling in the classroom, especially that's something that I might do if, you know, a child is having, you know, a hard time, you know, playing a game or accepting a loss in a game or something like that. So we might be able to use a proper or toy to kind of say, okay, this is how this person is feeling. And this is how you're feeling. What could you do to help them in this situation? Um, so a lot of these tips, actually thinking about this now, as I say them aloud, these social emotional tips are really very similar to what I would say in terms of teaching critical thinking skills. There's I figured a lot, as much. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of overlap at, at the preschool level, just like what we were saying with play, you know, when you play, when a child plays, they are learning so many different things all at once. And that's why I think that that social emotional intelligence is, you know, it's just vital. It's vital to their overall development, their academic and, you know, cognitive growth, but also just the way that they can, you know, chart their course throughout their daily lives and their interactions with everybody around them. Right. What is your favorite um, part about being a teacher? Ooh, that's a really good question. Hmm. I think, I think my favorite part is watching watching my students i was just going to say my children because i often refer to them as my children of course um watching my children just grow and develop and learn new things and come into their own you know watch their personalities start to really shine it's just incredible to watch children grow up at this at this stage of life and and i feel that way with my own son too because the growth happens so quickly yep. and there's just an explosion of growth at in early childhood. And so to just see, you know, a child walk into a classroom in September at a certain, at a certain point, And then at the end of the year in June, seeing that same child, not only physically grow, you know, and change, but see the skills that they've attained throughout the school year. I think that's the one of the things that makes me, you know, most grateful to be a teacher because it's just an amazing thing to watch um, and, you know, take part in. Right. And um, what is your favorite part about being a mom? I have to say it's, it's, I have to say it's very similar with my son too. You know, I think I'm, I'm left in awe very often when I look at my son and I am what I call a very, I'm a highly sensitive person. So I'm mm. one who's very quick to tears, you know, to start crying, um, even in joyful moments, you know? And so sometimes I just will look at him and I'm just amazed at how he changes from day to day and moment to moment. And I am extremely grateful to be his mother, to have this experience, to have a husband who, you know, is an incredible partner and father, and just being able to watch our son grow and develop and become this, you know, smart, funny, empathetic child. It's just, it's really, truly incredible. 
If is there anything that you had to learn as you grew up, you were in college, or now that you're a mom that you wish someone had taught you? You know, this is this is actually something I was reflecting on pretty recently. I was writing a blog post about behavior and behavior management and dealing with challenging behaviors in early childhood. And I think that something that I wish I knew early on in my teaching career was that we have to set realistic expectations for our children and we have to understand where they are developmentally and these expectations have to be age appropriate. Hmm. So if you, you know, if you grew up in a household, let's say where your parent was, you know, had a temper and very easily frustrated and maybe didn't demonstrate or model the best coping strategies. As an adult, you may have those same tendencies, right? Right. And so when you have a child of your own and that child is doing something that in your mind, you think, oh, this child should know better. And you become really frustrated in that moment that moment is going to escalate. It's going to balloon. And those behaviors are actually probably going to be exacerbated at that point. Right. Right. Sometimes we have to kind of take a step back away and, and a pause and think this is a young child who may not have the skills yet to handle this situation. So instead of being frustrated at them for that, Think about what I need to do as a parent, as a caregiver, as a teacher that can help this child through that moment. Right. Our job is to model what we want to see, right? So we want to show them, um, I I give an example of a child, let's say, who's struggling with their zipper, right? The child might be struggling with their zipper and they might be throwing a tantrum and getting frustrated and now they're whining and, you know, whining can grate on your nerves and you might turn to them and say, oh, why, you know, why are you whining right now? Like, what's the problem? And then you take a step back and you go, wait a minute, this is a child that doesn't know how to do this yet. So I'm going to take a moment, let myself cool off. And then I can say, here, I'm going to show you how to do this. Would you want to try it on your own? Or would you like me to help you? You know, and so that's something that I wish I knew earlier on is just being mindful of a child's development and where they are and meeting them at that moment and, and, and realizing what it is that they need to learn to get through that moment. Um, so, you know, there's a big, there's a big thing, you know, you see online you know, how do you stop your child from having tantrums or, you know, what can you do in, in this moment? But the reality is, is tantrums are a part of development. They're a natural part of development. And when children are very young, they are going to experience tantrums. There's nothing that you can do to stop that, but you can be mindful in those moments about how you approach those tantrums. Right. Cause you can actually suppress them from. Right. You can help them along that tantrum and make it that you both don't then feel super frustrated. (laughs) Right. And I feel like teaching the kids or having tools or ways to prevent tantrums or control your kids is Mm -hmm. limiting for the child. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're forcing the child to not. To not. uh, Right. And not express themselves. Right. And then not 
figure out what the coping strategy should be, right? So Correct. you're exactly like you said, that's a great term, suppressing it. You're you're kind of stunting that ability then to figure out, okay, moving forward, if I'm in a situation like this again, how do I handle it now? Correct. Um, so you want to, you know, it's just a natural part of life and we have to, you know, sometimes it's easier said than done in the moment. And you know, we come home sometimes and, you know, we feel tired after work or there's, you know, you have a lot to do or you have a lot on your mind. And when a, a tantrum or a behavior might happen, you might feel frustrated yourself. So sometimes it's just a matter of kind of taking a deep breath, stepping away. Sometimes it's okay to step away too and tell your child, like, yeah. I'm going to take a moment. I need to, I need to go take five deep breaths and I'll be with you in two seconds, you know? Um, so that again, goes back to that modeling piece. And it's something that I say a lot on my blog and and on my social, my social media, um, channels is that a lot of parenting boils down to modeling. Yes. And really just demonstrating the things that we want to see in our children. They have to see it from us. We lead by example. Um, so that's a, that's a big piece of, of parenting, you know, advice that I would give to people. And that certainly as a new parent is good to know is just, you know, be mindful of the things that you do around your children that you do and say around your children, um, because they absorb it all. Yes. I, um, I recently started to prioritize myself just a little bit. In mm -hmm. telling my kids, I just need five minutes. Yes. I it's a just, difficult thing to do. It's a difficult yeah. thing to do. And yeah. I, I will say, I don't always get it right either. Um, you know, no parent is perfect. No one is. Uh, but I think, you know, as moms, sometimes we tend to give and give and give and kind of forget ourselves sometimes. And you have to say, okay, I, I need, you know, mommy's feeling a little stressed right now. I need to take a, a few deep breaths or I, I need to, you know, walk into the other room. I'm going to come back and then I can help you. Yeah. Um, I think with my kids being older, it's easier now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I couldn't do it in the past. Mm -hmm. Like no matter what, yesterday we were out all day and we returned home at about 9 PM. Mm -hmm. That's a late and night. It's <laughs> very late night. And my, my daughter had a friend over and they had big plans. Oh, mm -hmm. we're going to put blankets and stuff on the living room floor. We're going to watch a movie all night. And, mm -hmm. and I said, great. <laughs> I'm going to my room to just lay down. Yeah, exactly. It's Once they become a little bit more independent, then correct. you have some more time to, to, you know, to focus on self-care. And that's a big part of being a yeah. parent. You know, we can and only that's give important. so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's important because I had been with them um, all day and it, I'm starting now to realize that it's, I'm an introvert, right? So I am too. Mm -hmm. when I'm out with other people or at work where I have to talk to people and my energy is exerted and then I come home and I, mm -hmm. I still have to exert more energy. The only way I can recharge is to be by myself. Right. We and, get depleted in those correct. moments. And yeah, you need, you need those moments to, to kind of step away and recharge. Correct. So I've noticed that even just 10 minutes of walking around the, the block by myself mm -hmm. is useful and helpful Certainly. or just sitting in my closet for five minutes mm -hmm. is extremely helpful. And then I'm okay, but I need 
my, I need my moment, you know, and I can't continue to just give and give without taking the time to just breathe. Right. Because then nobody wins in a situation like that. When everybody's depleted, it's just, we all, we're all very deserving of breaks in our lives. Um, yes. And it's okay to, and, and we shouldn't feel guilty about those, those moments either. Um, Not at all. Because, what, you know, what's that saying? They say you can't pour from an empty cup, right? So that's nope. the truth. <laughs> um, there's something you said that was very um, true and that rang true to me. You said that, you know, the academic skills will come mm -hmm. eventually, mm -hmm. but the social and the other skills are more important. And I, yeah, yeah go ahead. Yes, you know, and obviously I'm not saying that, you know, children shouldn't be exposed to these early literacy and math skills in, in preschool because they absolutely should, oh, yeah. um, no doubt about that. But it's just, I feel that it's harder as you grow and develop and kind of form into your own person, you know, in with your own beliefs and all of those things, it's kind of harder to establish these social emotional skills if you've gone so long without them, right? So right. I think that making sure to focus on those skills in early childhood can only benefit people as they get older um, and as they experience more in life and as they interact with more and more people in their life. Um, and, and just having these social emotional skills will benefit you in the classroom, in your homes, in your jobs, in, in, in all areas of life. So it, it's very critical, it, especially when it comes to, you know, the relationships that we have with others and how we interact with others and how we should interact in appropriate ways with others, you know? And sometimes I think when you lack those social emotional skills, that's where we come into issues in adulthood where people don't know how to express themselves um, appropriately. They may lash out on their friends or partners and, and relationships can be impacted because of those, you know, deficits or those lack of those skills or self-awareness. Yep, absolutely. Like my, my daughter's now in fifth grade and my son is in second. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I, math, fifth grade math is the worst math. Very on challenging. Yeah. So it's very yes, challenging. It's extremely challenging. Um, she and her friend, they were in the car and they saw a quote that said, math is, um, I can't remember the quote, but it was so funny. And they were like, yes, yes, yes. Math is torture and math <laughs> is blah, blah, blah. But um, I had a conversation with the math teacher a couple of weeks ago and because we were all stressed and not mm -hmm. just me. I know other parents were stressed over math. Absolutely. And she said, it's fifth grade. <laughs> mm -hmm. she said nothing counts until ninth grade let's just, <laughs> let's just be honest so mm -hmm. she said just be thankful that your kids know how to communicate yes. they know how to advocate for themselves mm -hmm. they can think mm -hmm. they know to come tell me when when they're feeling stressed out correct and she right. said that's all we want them to really learn this first semester Mm -hmm. and use is the ability to advocate for themselves to think so yeah. the school they don't email the parents unless they have to mm -hmm. so every student now has their own email addresses in fifth grade really 
Oh, yes. Yes. And I, I think, yes, like you said, I, you used a great word there too. You said advocate. Yeah. And that is absolutely, absolutely critical, you know, for parents and, and for teachers to teach our children. And, and again, that goes back to that critical thinking piece. We Correct. want our children to have the, the knowledge, the, the, the awareness, the communication skills to advocate for themselves and also for others. Um, right. Especially when, you know, they may be witness to, you know, injustices or, you know, situations where their friends may be taken advantage of or something like that. You want them to be able to speak up and say like, Mm-mm, this isn't cool. <laughs> Correct. So she said, to, she's like, don't stress over the math because this semester, the plan was to, that's why, so if they, all assignments are given to the students, emails go between student and teacher. I have the access to the email because I was like, yeah, that's not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. I need to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. But then I can coach my daughter, send this email, reply to this email and do that. But literally the school, your goal has been to teach them to come ask questions, come advocate for yourself, um, use the tools that you've been provided with and go to your teacher and seek help. So the teacher said, just be grateful that those skills are there Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. that's really what's being assessed this semester. Math will be fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Math will be what math is what it is (laughs) and then in ninth grade that's when you have to worry about the grades for now just be thankful that they have the life skills that will be use that will be useful to them so yeah life skills the life skills are what help you to navigate through life that's what helps you to navigate in your classroom environments, in your home environments, Correct. in your after-school curricular, you know, activities, those types of environments. And so those life skills are really, really important. Um, and just, and just getting through life every single day, every um, single day. So, and, and again, not to, not to say that the academic piece is not important. It is, it certainly is. But I think having a strong foundation of the social emotional skills, the life skills can help your child achieve better when it comes to academic skills. Because the foundation is there. Yep. Do you um, have any more tips you want to give before we wrap up? I think, um, I think that Obviously, you know, as parents, we, we want things, simple things that we can do at home that are not super time consuming, that are not, you know, gonna, gonna add more stress into our lives every day. Um, you know, so before I, before I even get any tips, I just want to say to parents who are listening that you're doing a great job, that, yep. that your children love you that you are, are recognized for the things that you do and that there are people in your life that are grateful for all the things that you do. So that's just something that I want to say because sometimes we might not hear those things. And when you're going through the day-to-day, um, you know, it, it could feel a little overwhelming. So to hear that, to get that kind of acknowledgement can be helpful in, in those tougher moments. Um, so I'll say that first. Um, but I think 
you know, being a teacher, being a preschool teacher and being a toddler mom, I like things that are simple, you know, Mm -hmm. learning through activities that you can use your, you could use your environment to your advantage, use the things that you have in your home already. You don't have to go spend a ton of money on fancy electronic toys and flashy things. You can use the things in your own home environment. And those things can teach your child life lessons and also academic skills at the same time. Um, so there was something that we, you know, we were talking about earlier where you could use a box, you know, in, right. in, and in an open-ended play, something that my son really loves to use right now in our home is empty containers, just empty containers, mm-hmm. you know, like a yogurt tub or a, you know, a, a tub of an empty tub from butter or something like that. And we empty out those containers and I put them in his playroom in like his kitchen area. And sometimes he'll use them as kitchen items and he'll pretend that they're food, right? Which is right. great and appropriate. And, you know, in a, in a dramatic play environment, that's really great. You're learning different play skills, but at the same time, he might take those containers out and then he might use them as blocks right. or he might use them as a drum set. Or he might use them as just little containers for some of his other toys and trinkets and carry them around the house. So things like those, they may seem to an outsider that, you know, it might seem like, okay, this is kind of silly or or it doesn't really look like it amounts to much, but those, those things are valuable. They're valuable to the learning experience for a young child. So I would just tell parents that, you could utilize the things in your home to teach your children really important skills um, and and kind of sticking to the basics of things. So you want to use the materials, those open-ended materials in your home, recyclable things that you might think, oh, otherwise you might want to throw this out, but you might want to hold on to it so that your child can, can one day build a bridge or try to make a boat that will float in the water. Right. Um, you know, those types of materials are great for those kind of STEM challenges, those kind of activities, um, engaging your child in conversation and in open conversation and letting them know that they can come to you with questions, um, and honest feelings. That's, that's the other thing. And then I, and I, I I should always say, um, read, (laughs) we didn't really talk about that. But we didn't reading, talk about that. Yes. Reading, reading, reading. And reading doesn't always have to look the same every single day. It doesn't have to be a book every night at bedtime, although that's wonderful if you if you can do that and you could fit it into your schedule and to your life. That's great. But you can read things throughout your day and in your environment. Just just the other day, my son, we got our mail, we bring the mail inside, and there's a catalog, you know, inside in our mail. And he sits down and he's reading the catalog with me and he's showing me things inside. And that's great for language development. He's, you know, recognizing things in his environment. He's telling me this is this and this is that. So reading doesn't always have to look like, a, you know, a child sitting in their parents' lap reading the cutest little picture book. They could be reading a catalog, a piece of mail, the newspaper, magazines. They can be reading because reading is all around us. Um, you know, there's print all over our environment. And so you want to just make sure that you use those things again, to your advantage, use those things that are around you for teachable moments. 
Um, so uh, to going back, I think reading is just really important. And again, to tie that in with critical thinking skills, when you're reading with your child, when you're reading books, make sure you're asking them questions. We call them the W questions, you know, who, what, when, where, why, ask those questions. Ask questions about what the characters are feeling. Ask your child to make predictions about what they think is to come in a book or to make inferences and then maybe see if their predictions change once they've learned some more information from the book. So there's a lot that we can do with the things that are already in our lives um, that can help encourage our child's overall development, their overall skills in terms of academics and social emotional learning. Absolutely. Do you have any questions for me? What made you decide to start your blog and what was the motivator for you to share your experiences with other parents um actually i'm sorry your blog and your podcast (laughs) it was it was more self-centered and selfish i'll Mm -hmm. I'll be honest Mm -hmm. i was just um when i had my daughter and she as she got older i started to realize that there were things that i wasn't aware of Mm -hmm. and how would i help her mm-hmm. when I don't have the information. So right. it led me to ask the question literally, mm-hmm. oh, what do I know and what do I not know? And which then came the title, what I wish my mother taught me. Yes. Because when, when a child is younger, mom is everything. All the women in your life is everything, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Kids have a preference for moms. So mm-hmm. not a dig at mothers or anything, but really... Like if my husband could literally be in the kitchen in front of the refrigerator and the water bottle is right in front of him, my kids will <laughs> they walk, say, mom, mom, <laughs> mommy, mommy, I'm in my closet. I'm outside. I'm anywhere. Mommy, can I have a bottle of that bottle of water in the fridge? <laughs> so I started to think, what do I not know? Like I had a conversation with a cycle, um, coach Mm -hmm. she so she she coaches women about their bodies and their period cycles Mm -hmm. and how to use it to their advantage and I know nothing about that Mm -hmm. no one sat me down and told me any of that and Mm -hmm. I'm kind of in that phase now with my daughter seriously like how do you teach a child information you do not know Mm -hmm. so that's why like cleaning the house doing the dishes the importance of all of that was Mm -hmm. never I know it's important but it was never something that I was spoken to about it you know Mm -hmm. yeah so it just that's that was my motivation it was just me bringing women together where we can discuss the things that we wished we knew and then how do we apply those to our lives as parents now Yes, and sure. and then so I did that for the so almost a year. It's just been moms talking about their experiences as children and how it affects them as um, parents and adults now. Mm-hmm. But I now want to bring in experts um, to talk about the things that are helpful. So like you, you know, in my day to day life, and I hate to keep saying it, critical thinking is lacking in our society. So when I saw your post, I said, I I need to speak to her (laughs) so that we can learn and not trying to change the adults um, that I am blessed to have in my life, but just really trying to help kids before they become adults and to have those skills. Sure. Um, Yeah. 
you know what you said too is actually goes it actually aligns with what we're talking about too here you you modeled this for your children by looking up information that you didn't have correct and that is a way to teach critical thinking skills because we don't have all the answers no one does you know no, no one has all the answers even in the age of the inter- internet you know um but, and this is something that I actually model in my classroom as well. Sometimes my, my students will ask me a question and I'll say, you know what? I really don't know the answer to that. Would you help me look it up? So showing our children that you don't have to have all the answers is an okay thing. And you then show them how to look for information, how to research information. Obviously at a preschool level, this is gonna be very basic. You know, you would say to them, oh, we can look in an encyclopedia. We can go look up books in the library. We can do an internet search. And then as kids get older, you wanna talk to them about making sure to look for things that looked factual. You know, there's a lot of Mm -hmm. misinformation out there. So you want to make sure that you're showing children, okay, this is, this is, um, you know, a peer reviewed scientific study. So this would be something that we can read, or this is something that has been fact checked. So this is something that we can read um, to find the answers. So that's a, that is a really great way to teach our children about critical thinking is to show them it in action. Um, so I really appreciate you bringing that up because that is a point that I didn't make earlier, but should have. It is very important to kind of model that for our kids to say, like, we don't always have the answers for things. We don't always have the solutions for things, you know, for problems. So what can we do to look up this information or how do we go about finding these solutions? Correct. Um, so that that's a really great and valid point. Yeah. And then I'm a, I'm a, like I, the, my favorite place in the world is the library. So mm-hmm. I'm an information and knowledge junkie. Yes, and it's so, one of the best places on earth. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so the more information I can gather on things that are useful for others, I mm-hmm. want to share it. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's that's why. And yeah. I, I, in my heart of hearts, I want to raise children who are thoughtful to the world around them who are just good citizens and not self-centered so I want to do my best to understand the needs of others um and or how other people think Mm -hmm. in relation to the way my children show up in the world yes if I could give you a hug I would right now because (laughs) I it's a New Jersey thing yes I I knew that (laughs) I feel the exact same way and and to be perfectly honest that was part of the reason that I went on my kind of blogging journey as well I started my blog um in uh, about a year ago and I said to myself what can I do as a mother, as a teacher, to kind of share the experiences that I've had, the knowledge that I have, you know, in terms of early childhood education, what can I do to kind of put this information out there for other parents to help them? Because, you know, as a, as a teacher, you know, year after year of being in the classroom, there are common questions that arise every single year from parents, you know, how do I deal with this? What can I do when my child's doing that? And I thought to myself, well, what if there's a place that I could create 
for parents to go to and to find this information in a kind of easy to read, you know, kind of friendly way to say, this is, this is what I know and, and, you know, use this information and hopefully it's useful in your, in your life and in your family. Um, so that's the, that's the same thing that kind of I did as well when I was trying to um, start my blog and, and create this, um, the website that I did. Um, and then the other part of it, it's twofold, is that I wanted really to create a space to tell parents about the importance of social emotional learning and how it may seem small and insignificant on an individual level, but it's not because it could make really great changes societally if we have a generation of young people who are self-aware, aware of other people, their experiences, are empathetic to other people and their experiences, and who can get along in a way that, you know, maybe we haven't seen before, you know, in yes. previous generations. Yes. And 20 minutes of your time. Mm -hmm. No, it's okay. No, it's okay. It was very so, nice talking to you. <laughs> oh yeah. It's so great. I just want to commend you so much. I think if I could be a teacher, I would, because I just, I love learning. I, I mm -hmm. love kids. And I think that, so currently I work for um, a nonprofit that helps um, adults mm -hmm. who are homeless. Oh, um, incredible. But really my, I, I know that my life's work has to do with children. Mm -hmm. um, so I just love to work with, talk to people who do that work in any form. Right. Especially work that impacts a child between the birth and age 10 because mm -hmm. that's the most critical just the mo exactly. time Absolutely. you know so I just want to commend you Thank for you. doing it that. as a profession and then deciding to share it with a larger audience because that makes such a difference when a child has the skills and tools and the foundation early on to be successful they have a greater chance of, of being successful yes absolutely absolutely you know, I am yeah percent agree and when you make the conscious decision that that's where you want to spend your life or this time in your life working mm -hmm. then you're doing God's work so I just want to commend you for that thank you very much I appreciate that very much and I appreciate you inviting me to speak with you today I really do this is my first time doing something like this so you should um, do more of it oh thank you <laughs> thank you it was really really fun to do this and uh, oh you know God. to talk about these things so I'm telling you you need to do more of it you I you were talking and I was listening and I said you know what you're a type of guest that I love oh thank you <laughs> because I don't <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of What I Wish My Mother Taught Me. I learned so much from each guest, and I hope that you've gained some impactful information today. Please review and subscribe to the podcast. Remember that you matter and all that you do impacts someone. Until next week, have a great week.